Hello, this is Alan Bellows, the founder of Damn Interesting. The podcast episode you're about to listen to is unusual in that it's not a new article like all of our others have been so far. Instead, this is one from our archives. The reason we're doing this is to promote an audiobook we're currently working on and hoping that a few people will buy to help us keep things running around here. So if you like what you hear today, go to damninteresting.com forward slash donate for more information on how to acquire this wonderful talking book. Here's the episode. The Smoldering Ruins of Centralia, written by Alan Bellows. There is a small town in Pennsylvania called Ashland, where Route 61's northbound traffic is temporarily branched out onto a short detour. Exactly what the detour is circumventing is not immediately clear to travellers. However, few passers-by pay it mind. A detour is nothing unusual. But anyone who ignores the detour and ventures along the original Route 61 highway will soon encounter an abrupt and unexplained road closure. Beyond it lies a town filled with overgrown streets, smouldering earth, and ominous warning signs. It is the remains of the borough of Centralia. Centralia, Pennsylvania, was never a particularly large community, but it was once a lively and industrial place. At its peak, the coal mining town was home to 2,761 souls, but today the population of its cemeteries far outnumbers that of its living residents. The series of events which led to the community's demise, slowly diminishing its numbers to less than a dozen, began about 44 years ago. In 1962, workers set a heap of trash ablaze in an abandoned mine pit, which was used as the borough's landfill. The burning of excess trash was a common practice, yet, at that particular time and place, there existed a dangerous condition, an exposed vein of anthracite coal. The highly flammable mineral was unexpectedly ignited by the trash fire, promoting a quick effort to put it out. The flames on the surface were successfully extinguished, but, unbeknownst to the firefighters, the coal continued to burn underground. Over the following weeks, it rapidly migrated into the surrounding coal mines and beneath the town, causing great concern. Soon the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Resources began monitoring the fire by drilling holes into the earth to determine the extent and temperature of the fire. In retrospect, it was realized that the well-meaning workers may have unwittingly provided the fire with a natural draft by drilling these boreholes, feeding the coal's combustion. As a precaution, the department also installed gas monitors in many homes within the affected area. But nonetheless, many residents complained of symptoms of carbon monoxide exposure. In 1969, seven years after the fire was started, a more involved effort was made to contain the fire using trenches and clay seals, but the attempt was met with failure. In the 1970s, concerns over the severity of the extensive subterranean fire were stirred 
When a gas station owner noticed that the contents of his underground fuel storage tank seemed hot, so he measured the gasoline's temperature and found it to be a troubling 180 degrees Fahrenheit. Numerous attempts were made to extinguish or contain the underground fire over the next two decades. The mines were flushed with water and the burning coal was excavated, but despite the persistence of the workers, their efforts were unsuccessful. The work continued for years at a great expense with no appreciable progress. After burning beneath the surface for almost 20 years, the fire drew national media attention when the ground crumbled beneath the feet of 12-year-old Tom Dabowski in 1981. The sinkhole, about 4 feet wide and 150 feet deep, had sufficient heat and carbon monoxide concentration that it would have killed the boy had his cousin not been there to help pull him to safety. It was not the first nor the last sinkhole caused by the fire, but it was the most sobering. At that point, about $7 million had been spent in the firefighting effort. Experts determined that the only option remaining to effectively battle the fire would be a massive trenching operation at the cost of around $660 million, with no guarantee of success. Left with such limited options, the state of Pennsylvania basically condemned the entire town and spent $42 million in government funds relocating most of its residents. The fire still burns today beneath about 400 acres of surface land, and it's still growing. There is enough coal in the eight-mile vein to feed the fire for up to 250 years, but it may burn itself out in as few as 100 years. A few residents remained in the borough after the buyout, but their numbers have dwindled since then to about a dozen. Most of the unoccupied homes and buildings have been razed, and large portions of the town are being reclaimed by nature, leaving meadows crisscrossed with overgrown asphalt roads and the occasional steaming or smoking hillside. In its prime, Centralia was a vibrant community with five hotels, seven churches, 19 general stores, two jewellery stores and about 26 saloons. Today it is a modern ghost town whose guts have been burned out and whose main path of ingress has been closed and detoured. Residents are expected to return in 2016 to open a time capsule which was buried in the town in 1966, back when the town's future was still somewhat optimistic. Its future now is decidedly more grim. There are currently no further plans to extinguish the fire and most modern maps no longer show a dot where Centralia once stood. That chapter of the Damaged Thing audiobook was written and produced by myself, Alan Bellows. It was read by Simon Whistler. If you're interested in acquiring a considerable amount of audio in this vein, visit us at damagedthing.com forward slash donate for more information. Thanks so much.